Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning with me to Psalm 63. As we turn to God's word, let's turn to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Your word, which satisfies the thirsty and the hungry. Oh, Father, your gathered people today may be in various situations that are like a wilderness, dry and hot and barren. But, Father, your word is an oasis for our souls. And so be pleased now to use your word, use the powerful working of your Holy Spirit to satisfy us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some words are more common than others. In other words, some words uh, come in and out of fashion. Some words that you heard years ago, you don't hear much today. And maybe there's going to be words in a, a few years that we don't even think about today. And I, I think a word that, at least in my experience, was used more in the past than it is today is, is, is the word devotions. You know, what do you think? What immediately comes to mind when you hear the word devotions? I, I think most of us would think time reading the Bible, time praying to God, a, a quiet time, a, a, a time alone with God, a a time of reading God's word or reading some book that helps us understand God's word. Indeed, what is table talk but a daily devotional? But how about the word devotion, excuse me, the word devoted or just the word devotion? Think about the grace and peace postcard. You know, it's got a statement and a question. To be human is to worship. Who or what are you worshiping? How about the new grace and peace postcard? To be human is to love. Who or what do you love? Well, wait a minute. How about a new version? To be human is to be devoted. To whom or to what are you devoted? Because everybody worships, everybody loves, everybody is devoted to something or someone. It's the object of your worship, the object of your love, the object of your devotion. I think it was just a week or so ago, Olivia Newton-John, the Australian singer, Died and, and in the movie Grease from the 1970s, there was the song Hopelessly Devoted to You. Hopelessly Devoted. Well, I think many of us, if we ask ourselves, we are devoted to something or to someone, whether 
we're conscious of it or not, if we take the time to think, we may discover the object of our devotion. Well, here we are finishing our summer series in the Psalms, and the Psalms express that divine human encounter and, and give us a vocabulary to express that encounter. You know, Psalm 63, I think we will see, is about the worship of God, love for God, devotion to God. Derek Kidner, uh, the late British scholar, theologian, and commentator, in particular of the Psalms, said this, there may be other Psalms that equal this outpouring of devotion, few, if any, that surpass it. Now, before we focus on Psalm 63, let's step back and, and think about the Psalms in general and how they occupy or should occupy a, a, a prominent place in corporate worship of the church and in the all in life, all of life worship of the Christian. 150 Psalms, songs divided into five books, at once familiar. Think Psalm 23, Psalm 100, but sometimes foreign, written over a period of 12 centuries from about 1500 to 3000 BC. The Psalms are diverse and yet they're unified because they're centered on the one true and living God. And again, they, it's, it's where the human and the divine come together. The Psalms are poetry, not prose. And as poetry, they force us to slow down read thoughtfully, read prayerfully. They inform our intellect, arouse our emotions, stimulate our imaginations, and direct our wills. And I haven't said this for a while, but it needs to be said, when we read the Psalms with faith, just as when we read any scripture with faith, we come away not just informed, not just with greater knowledge, but we come away transformed, maybe with greater love for God greater desire to change. The Psalms, whether corporate in worship or home alone, they, they serve to reorient us and realign us. They serve to, to bring our attention to the one true and living God and in giving attention to the one true and living God, they help us think of him and worship him as he is revealed in Scripture. John Calvin wrote in his introduction to his commentary on the Psalms this, I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And for those of you who have been with us in this series this summer or in summers past, you know that's the case. They open us up and they let us see what's going on inside of us. They give us a language to express what we may be thinking, feeling. But the Psalms, as an anatomy of the soul, they also are medicine for the soul that can close us up and heal us. The Psalms give us words to use when we desire to pray to God and to praise God. Now, Psalm 63 provides us with an example from Scripture of what it means to be devoted to God devoted to God. It will be a pattern, a framework that we can use not only to evaluate our devotion 
to God. In other words, give us a report card, but also to guide our devotion to God. I mean, this, God's word is, is a good instructor, right? Not only do you take the initial entrance exam and you see how you're doing, but then it, God's word patiently instructs us, guides us. Join with me now as I read Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise with you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword and shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Our approach to Psalm 63 will be to follow the flow of the psalm and consider that David longs for God. He is satisfied in God, and he trusts God. Let's look at the first four verses, a longing for God. The title, the inscription of this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, it could have been when he was being pursued by Saul, but most likely this is in the time when his son Absalom rebelled betrayed David, organized a coup, a conspiracy, and David had to flee Jerusalem. He's in the desert fleeing from his son Absalom. And if you want to read the historical background, you can go back to 2 Samuel beginning in chapter 15 and read the next few chapters. Imagine the crisis. Your own son is after you. Your own son is going to occupy the throne and you're run out of town. And interestingly, as you read that narrative account, you'll see descriptions of they went into the wilderness. They were going to the wilderness. Charles Spurgeon, in looking at Psalm 63, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century in London, says this, there was no desert in heart, though there was a desert around him. Indeed, the situation is David is in the wilderness. The worse the situation for David, we see, seems to continue to bring out his best, his devotion to God. Notice how it starts. A personal prayer. Oh God, you are my God. 
those of you that keep up with trends and culture and society know that pronouns are a big thing, right? But you know what? You can almost see that Christianity consists of personal pronouns. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Paul would say, who loved me and gave himself for me. There's an appropriate time not to talk about yourself. And there's an appropriate time to talk about yourself. Oh God, you are my God. Now, when I read that and I said that to myself, I couldn't help but go back to 1993. The song, Sometimes by Step. Have you heard that song? Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you'll lead me, and I will follow you all my days. Guarantee that the inspiration for part of that refrain is here in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. As is the case in a lot of the Psalms, you will see past, present, and future. Here in Psalm 63, what unfolds in the first four verses is present, then past, then future. Look at the present situation. Earnestly, I seek you. Earnestly, I seek you. Earlier, other translations say early, I seek you. Because it could be probably translated, a word related to the dawn. That early, as it were, in the morning, I seek you. But but earnestly is a a good translation as well. In other words, um, with integrity, with eagerness. Earnestly, I seek you with my whole being, my my whole entire self, my body and soul, as we will see references to soul and flesh. You see, where it says, my flesh faint, my soul thirsts, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It could be literally, I'm in the land, I'm in the wilderness, It, it is dry, it is desert. But it's also figurative. That's that's his situation. Dry, harsh, arid, barren. You see, figurative and literal here together work well. Because what is visible and experiential helps us to understand what is invisible, yet absolutely real. How do you see, for instance, embarrassment, right? You know if you're embarrassed, it's real, right? But you can't see it. You can't see embarrassment. Well, you can see expressions and you can hear words. But just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not real. And so here is David using what is visible, what can be touched to help articulate what is invisible, but nonetheless real. Because human beings are body and soul. They're material and immaterial. And notice how both his soul and his flesh, as it were, are gripped. 
David says, my soul thirsts, my flesh faints. Expressions to help us understand what it means when he says, earnestly, I seek you. Earnestly, I seek you. Now, those of you that are familiar with the Bible may say, wait a minute. David is seeking God? How about if you bring Romans 3, verses 10 and 11 up? None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Aha. Scripture is contradictory, right? Absolutely not. You got to look at the context. Because in Isaiah 55, just a few verses after what we used as part of our call to worship, we read this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Paul rightly says no one in and of themselves, by themselves, dead in sin is going to seek God. But oh, the person who is alive, who's been awakened, is absolutely called to seek God. God. So that's his present situation. He is seeking God earnestly with his whole being, with everything he's got. You know what it's like when you see someone worshiping, loving, being devoted to someone, a hobby, a person, a pastime, a job. They are obsessed. It's all they see. That's what David is saying. I'm obsessed with God. Not only is there a present situation, but there is a past remembrance. Look where he says in verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Where is David? He's not in Jerusalem. He's away. He's away from the tabernacle. The temple's not yet built, but God has nonetheless promised to be in a particular place at particular times. He's away from that, but he remembers that. He remembers your power and your glory. It sounds like the end of the Lord's Prayer coming from 1 Chronicles 29. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Now, before he moves on to the future, he makes what has got to be one of the most amazing statements in Scripture. A statement that at first glance seems too good to be true. Ask yourself right now, what have you heard that seems too good to be true. Well, here in Psalm 63, we read this. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Are you kidding me? You're, something is better than life? I thought life is all you got and you got to make the best of it. How can it be true? Well, it, it, it's true because what does David say is better than life? It's steadfast love. God's steadfast love, his covenant love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his promise, his sure, unending love. 
Was it Benjamin Franklin said the only thing certain in life are death and taxes? For the Christian, what's really certain in life is God's steadfast love is better than life. Paul says what? To live is Christ, to die is gain. He writes to the Roman church that neither death nor life nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, the, one of the reasons I don't believe this is because I haven't thought about and meditated upon and rejoiced in and been thankful for the steadfast love of God. Now think about things that finish, things that end, end either abruptly or just slowly fade away. I think if you went into what's on the shelf at Kroger today, the food has an expiration date and the stuff that doesn't have an expiration date one day will be dust. But God's steadfast love has no expiration date. It's his steadfast love. And, and, and because of this, notice he has a future commitment so I will bless you as long as I live. And I will lift up my hands in worship, body and soul worship. Now, where's David? He's not in Jerusalem. Where is he? He's in the wilderness. What's your wilderness today? Do you think I can only worship God on Sunday? here in this sanctuary? If you read on about Jesus and the woman at the well, he, he, he's going to let her know that worship is not tied to a place. Worship is tied to a person. So my friends, if you're in a wilderness today, you're in the presence of the steadfast love of God. Whatever that wilderness looks like to you. Now, if anything is clear from these first four verses is that David has a heart longing for God, his God. He's got, in the words of C.S. Lewis, an appetite for God. Now, as he continues, we see that David not only longs for God, he finds satisfaction in God. In other words, he gets to where he's going. He, he gets to where he's been running. David is both restless and resting. It's the both and. It's the longing for and being satisfied. So let's look at verses 5 through 8. I'm calling it the present future. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. It, yeah, it's future. It will be satisfied, but he's already there. It is being satisfied. My soul will be satisfied as with, here's an illustration. I'm starving. I'm so hungry. You get to the table, you eat the food, and then what? You're no longer hungry. You're no longer famished. You're satisfied. We all have foods that satisfy us. David is saying that God satisfies him just like food for the stomach 
So God for the soul. God for the whole man. He's thinking about God in the middle of the night. He's remembering and meditating. Uh, Earnestly I seek you. Earlier I said it could have been translated early I seek you in the morning. And here's at night. In the morning and at night. In the middle of the night. What do you do when you wake up in the middle of the night? I think there's a couple of choices, right? Worry, fret, put fuel on your anxiety, right? Or think about who God is, what he's promised his people. Earnestly, I seek you in the morning and at night. And who is this? He's seeking, who is this that he's thinking about? He's thinking about his help. For you have been my help. If you were with us on June the 5th, Psalm 54, title, help. Help, I need somebody help, not just anybody help. You know I need some help. It's not help from just anyone or someone, but it's help from God. We've been saying this pretty regularly through the Psalms. You know, a long prayer is have mercy on me. A short prayer is help. God, help. Here's David saying that God has been my help and we've seen that time and time and time again. And a beautiful expression, the shadow of your wings. He sings for joy. This beautiful image of God's protection, of God's care. Again, how do you, how do you better understand the invisible? By, by associating it with something that is visible. The covering, the protection, the shade of the wings Devoted to God. Look at what David says next. My soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. I know folks, some folks think that the something to think about quote is too long. But sometimes it's really short. Today's is pretty short. It's Martin Luther. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. What has David been doing in Psalm 63? Clinging to and confiding in God. You got to admit you need help. You got to admit you can't do it by yourself. You got to admit that you need God. He's clinging to God. We talk about the Christian life being the already and the not yet, and it's appropriately applied to that time between the first advent, Jesus has already come, and the second advent, he's not yet returned. The already and the not yet. But it's just not the time period between the two advents of Christ. It's, it's a good description of, of the Christian life. Already satisfied, yet not satisfied. There's a longing, but there's also a satisfaction. 
You know, Jesus says in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, among other things, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, hunger and thirst for God, they will be, you will be satisfied. This this longing and this satisfaction, these first eight verses, are are not escapist, they're not otherworldly, but this is the essence of practical Christian living. Longing for God, resting in God. Running after God, being with God. It's the both and. David longs for God. David is satisfied in God. Who is God? The God who, among other things, is trustworthy. See, David is trusting God with his past, his present, and his future. He knows God to be trustworthy. Because these last three verses speak of David's trust in God. Now, what are people seeking You know, David's in crisis. He's in conflict. He's been pushed out into the wilderness. He's fled there. Why? People are seeking to destroy my life. You know, David is seeking God and people are seeking to kill him. It really does matter what you're seeking. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. So one expression of trust in God is is an awareness of the destiny of the wicked. It's like Psalm 73 when Asaph goes in and he he goes into the sanctuary and he sees the destiny of the wicked. David is, as it were, seeing the destiny of the wicked. Who are the wicked? Well, those are the ones seeking to destroy his life. But notice how the psalm ends, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Once again, the sin of lying, the sin of falsehood. You know, we live in a day and age of misinformation. We might laugh, but get this, according to Scripture, it is a big deal to pass on, to create misinformation. It is a big deal to pass on misinformation. Proverbs 6, six things, seven things, two of them, have to do with lying and falsehood. Anybody memorize it with me last week? Murder, bad. Adultery, bad. Theft, bad. Interesting. Lying, false witness is what's expressed here. So David expresses his trust in God through an awareness of the destiny of the wicked, but also... He expresses his trust in God through the joy in the justice of God. You know, God is the attorney general. God is the head of the department of justice. David is is aware that they are going to get what they deserve. All the while, David also recognizes he has gotten what he doesn't deserve. God's mercy 
God's grace, God's favor. You know, for the righteous, meaning those trusting in Jesus, judgment day, a day of justice, is going to be a joyful day. But for the unrighteousness, those that don't trust Jesus, it will be a dreadful day. Justice will be served, and for the believer, there is joy in justice. Primarily because I think it reminds us that God is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Psalm 63 is an example of and a guide for the Christian life, a life devoted to the trustworthy God. Psalm 63 reveals, in the words again of Derek Kidner, not the groping of a stranger feeling his way towards God, but the eagerness of a friend, almost of a lover, to be in touch with the one who holds him dear. One reason why my prayer life, my communion with God is so anemic and dry at times is because I've not spent enough time thinking about who God is and what he has done and continues to do for me. If I did, that would wake me up. That would put me both on my face, but also put me on my feet with with hands upraised. I bet it would be the case for you as well. Well, we need to land the plane. And let's land the plane with a few observations. That David can be and and indeed is devoted to God. How? Why? Because God is devoted to him. Remember, God has made a covenant with David. We see that in 2 Samuel 7. I will give, I will make. My steadfast love will not depart from your descendants. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Remember the call to worship. An everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. David can be and is devoted to God as we see in Psalm 63. Because God is devoted to him. So how can we, how can we be devoted to God? How can God be the object of our devotion? In a world of a thousand options, how can we be obsessed with God? This is how. Because we remember he is devoted to us. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Paul writes to the Roman church, Christ died for us. John writes in his first letter, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to exhaust the wrath of God for our sins. We love, right? We love God. We love one another. How? Why? Because he first loved us. 
The Christian life is pronouns. The Christian life is also getting things in the proper order. God is devoted to us. We are able to be devoted to him. Here in Psalm 63, we see devotion to God expressed in a longing for God, being satisfied in God, trusting in God, a hunger for God, a thirst for God. Could Jesus have had that in mind in that last meal with his disciples? Something that would satisfy their thirst, satisfy their hunger, slake their thirst. The Christian life is both a hunger and a thirst for God, but also a satisfaction in him. Those that know Jesus Christ by faith know that the steadfast love of the Lord in Jesus is indeed better than life. Because our life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are body and soul. We are material beings. We are immaterial beings. And you you want all of us. You have made all of us and you want all of us. Oh, Father, would you be pleased to use your word today as applied by your spirit to examine us And also to guide us. And Father, where we fall short, and we all fall short, may we know that you have provided everything we need for life and godliness. You have provided forgiveness, but you have also provided the inner strength and a growing ability to do what you ask of your people. Oh, Father, we know that we can only be satisfied in you. We know that our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So Father, be pleased today to satisfy the longing of your people through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.